Finding the right news podcast can feel like dating. It seems promising until you start listening. When you hit play on Post Reports, you'll get fascinating conversations and sometimes a little fun, too. I'm Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. Martine and I are the hosts of Post Reports. The show comes out every weekday from The Washington Post. You can follow and listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. It'll be a match, I promise. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Strange Arrivals is a production of iHeart3D Audio. For full exposure, listen with headphones. I'm Toby Ball, and this is Strange Arrivals. Episode 7, The Illusion of Movement. In March of 1966, the area around Hillsdale County, Michigan, experienced a wave of UFO sightings that eventually garnered too much media coverage for the Pentagon to simply ignore. The Air Force sent Alan Hynek, the consulting scientist to Project Blue Book, to see if he could find a satisfactory explanation. Here is George Pruitt from WJR Radio in Detroit, interviewing Project Blue Book head Major Hector Quintanilla. On the local news front, an Air Force investigating team is looking into the rash of UFO reports that have taken place in southeastern Michigan. The team is headed by Dr. H. Allen Hynek of Northwestern University, who is the Air Force scientific advisor on Project Blue Book. That's the Air Force project to investigate UFO reports. WJR's Phil Jones contacted the military chief of that project at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base near Dayton, Major Hector Quintanella and had some questions for the Major about the investigation. Well, no, no, one of the things that prompted the investigation is the general interest by the public and the press. Uh, and the other one is that we'd like to find what they were. I mean, so many people saw them. Have uh, you received word uh, of any other organization, perhaps a radar unit with one of the Air Force bases or something, is also spotting these? Negative. We have contacted Detroit Air Defense Sector, they spotted nothing unusually unique. Now, what will this investigation entail? Well, talking to the people, collecting their impressions of what they, they observed, and uh, trying to determine what the stimulus was that caused them to see this thing in, in that fashion. 
Alan Hynek hit the ground in Michigan with two expectations of him. Find an explanation for these sightings and find it fast. It would not prove to be that easy. Host of the Saucer Life podcast, Aaron Gullius. What he finds are that the witness statements are, while there's a lot of them, they aren't necessarily consistent. And Hynek, at this time, had been involved in Air Force investigations of of UFOs since the 1950s in one capacity or another. And he was getting very frustrated, not only with uh, the Air Force's seeming reluctance to dedicate serious scientific sort of resources to this, but also with what he would call the quality of some of the witness statements that he was having to deal with. It's hard to take a scientific approach uh, sometimes when you don't have sort of the raw materials of evidence to work with. Hynek's interviews were not limited to eyewitnesses. Because the sightings took place near Ann Arbor, home of the University of Michigan, he was able to meet with local experts in astronomy, botany, and other subjects hoping they might help uncover a prosaic explanation. Author, Mark O'Connell. And after interviewing all these people over the course of several days, Heineck, he's, he's been getting pressure the whole time he's in Michigan from his boss. Hold a press conference, tell everybody it was just nothing. Tell them it was just something natural. Quintanilla's pressure meant that Heineck had to come up with a quick solution. Too quick, Heineck believed, for an investigation to truly get to the bottom of this series of sightings. Heineck is resisting because he says, well, I don't know what it is. I don't know what they saw. So I don't want to have a press conference until I can say something that I really believe is true. Well, his boss at Project Blue Book, Hector Quintanilla, basically says, no, you're doing a press conference Friday at five, period. You're doing a press conference and you're going to give the media a natural explanation for what's going on. He goes to this press conference and it becomes incredibly famous in UFO lore and it's it's well known in the region there in Southeast Michigan. Even people who aren't UFO people have kind of a, a sort of folk memory of this. He basically says in a, a roundabout way that what, uh, what was seen at uh, various places by various witnesses matches many of the conditions required for ignited swamp gas. Now, the term swamp gas is unfortunate because while you still might not believe that it is the cause of the sightings, it's not as ridiculous as it sounds. It's a real phenomenon. But the pressure was such that Heineck had to go with it because it was the best he could do in that time frame. Here's Heineck talking about this explanation on Voice of America Radio. And let me remind you that all that was described, with the exception of two people, the great majority of the people described only lights, a glow, and rather small red, yellow, and green lights. Now, the fact that this occurred near a swamp or at a swamp in both cases, a great number of observers were referring to those two events Uh, led me to follow that as a clue. Now, an astronomer doesn't usually worry about swamps. His eyes are looking elsewhere, generally. But in in as uh, rapid and as thorough a way as was possible in that time, I did uh, notice, for instance, that in 
Professor Minert's book, and Minert is an astronomer, uh, he describes in his book Light and Color in the Open Air, he describes lights of these colors, green, red, and yellow, and white, uh, as dancing around swamp areas. The will-o'-the-wisp, sometimes called ignis fatus, and um, uh, known by other names also, I believe foxfire is another name given to it. Heinick talked with professors of chemistry, zoology, and botany to get more information. He learned that the vegetation decomposing under the winter ice would produce gases, including one called phosphine. And the phosphine can, they tell me, spontaneously ignite. After the, in this, when a spring thaw comes, and the gases can be, can bubble up from below and get released, the gases can ignite spontaneously. And they flicker all over other place. They'll flicker at one place, then go out, and uh, suddenly appear someplace else, which gives the illusion of motion. And this description fit quite well, the description that both the many co-eds at the Hillsdale College uh, told me, and also the policemen who were actually in the swamp and saw the lights themselves. Remember Bud Van Horn's description of the lights that he saw near Hillsdale College? To be on the surface of the earth, uh, on the ground. Uh, However, I don't feel that it was because it moved very freely uh, from left to right and right to left at various times, which... uh, uh, it would be impossible for any type of vehicle uh, on wheels or on the ground to uh, move uh, that smoothly because of the mogginess uh, and the uh, marshy uh, portion there. Heinick went on to specify that the swamp gas explanation applied only to this case and not as an explanation for UFO sightings in general. But I'd like to emphasize here that this does not, in no sense of the word, by this particular explanation, which refers to these two specific cases, am I trying to give a blanket interpretation or a blanket solution to the entire UFO phenomenon? Given the pressure he was under, this was the best Heineck could do. But while a case could be made that this was a plausible explanation, the nuances were lost on the press who, not surprisingly, fixated on the term swamp gas. He doesn't say that that is what it is. It just says this is one possibility of what people might have seen that is an explainable, sort of supportable thing. He doesn't come out and say it was swamp gas. But what's reported in the media is Air Force says UFO sightings are swamp gas, basically. A flying saucer expert hired by the Air Force today dismissed reports of weird flying objects sighted throughout southern Michigan this past week. Dr. J. Allen Hynek told a news conference in Detroit this afternoon. And this leads to a huge backlash against the Air Force, which is accused of not taking witnesses seriously, not taking the subject seriously. The public dissatisfaction was taken up by future President Gerald Ford, who at the time was a Michigan congressman and minority leader of the House of Representatives. The 
Congress should investigate the rash of reported sightings of unidentified flying objects in southern Michigan and other parts of the country. A congressional inquiry would be most worthwhile because the American people are becoming most interested and in many instances very alarmed by the UFO story. I firmly believe the American people would feel much better if there was a full-blown investigation of these alleged incidents. A second congressman, Edward Rausch of Indiana, also expressed frustration with the official explanation. People want to know what a UFO is, and uh, therefore, any chance that we have to, to learn, we should take advantage of it. When you tell an, an American, I can't explain it, he wants to know, why can't you explain it? Why doesn't someone explain it? I want someone to explain it. And I think that kind of pressure is going to uh, change the view of um, many government officials and members of Congress in the future. The swamp gas explanation, whatever its merits, had only increased suspicion that the government was not acting in good faith. As the face of the investigation, Heineck was the obvious target. And he just, he's getting squeezed in this vice because on the one hand, all his UFO friends are furious with him because they all thought this was the big one, right? This is the case that nobody can explain away. This is the case that proves that we're being visited by spaceships from another world. And Heineck didn't give him that. Meanwhile, the people in Michigan were also furious with him because he seemed to be saying that you people in Michigan are a bunch of dopes and you can't tell swamp gas from a UFO and what is wrong with you. Heineck felt that his scientific objectivity was being called into question, that he was viewed as a mouthpiece for government obfuscation. Some of the law enforcement officers in Michigan that, that Heineck dealt with, Bud Van Horn, uh, for example, who was involved, he was a civil defense official and law enforcement officer connected to the Hillsdale sightings. He believed that Heineck came in with his mind already made up. Bud Van Horn. Seen the UFOs. In fact, he watched one last night. I wonder, do you uh, go along with the theory of Mr. Van Horn that it would be gas out there that caused it? Definitely not, Bob. Very definitely not. Bob, I would like to ask uh, Mr. Van Horn uh, why he didn't report this to the nearest Air Force and uh, have them send some planes over to investigate what this thing actually was while he watched it from 11 until 2. Uh, because on... The previous reports to Selfridge Air Force Base, I have received very poor reception and be, have been made to look like a very uh, ignorant person. Really, I can't figure this out. They have this UFO investigation program, but uh, if I had to give an honest opinion, I would say it was one of two things. Either they just plain are interested, uh, every report they receive remains means too much paperwork, or else they know It's evident in hindsight that whatever else you think of Heineck's investigations, he did seem to be genuinely trying to figure things out. While he was initially a skeptic, he didn't undertake investigations with a predetermined conclusion in mind, regardless of how it looked to the public. After this, Heineck begins to realize more and more that the Air Force is not necessarily interested in determining what people might be seeing. 
They're really just interested in clearing the cases and ensuring that people don't think that it's anything out of the ordinary and that he's sort of been playing a role in this. But the way Blue Book operated helped contribute to that perception. So I think this, especially the way the Air Force sort of positioned him as almost the public face of their ridiculous explanation, put him more on guard with, with respect to how the Air Force handled things and pushed him more towards trying to investigate things more with an open mind. And this was the point at which Heineck said, you know what, I'm not going to let the Air Force put me in this situation again. I'm not going to carry their water anymore. And at the same time, Heineck's name had been all over the news. People outside of Michigan and who weren't part of the small population of UFO enthusiasts identified Heineck as the expert on UFOs. There was this vast middle ground of people who thought, wow, this guy knows what he's talking about. This is the guy who knows all about UFOs. All of a sudden, and I, and I would see this researching his files, there's this transition between early 1966 and later in 1966, when all of a sudden his correspondence in his files just expands like you wouldn't believe. Heineck was getting fan letters from people all over the country, all over the world. People saying, I want to tell you about my experience. I want to tell you about this thing I saw. I want to tell you about my theory of, of reality. He was just getting fan letters from people everywhere. So even though the Swamp Gas case at first glance looked like it could have basically ruined Heineck, it could have destroyed him, in a very strange way, it made him more popular and more credible than ever. People around the country, but especially in Michigan, insisted that the Swamp Gas explanation could not stand. They wanted accountability. They wanted Congress to step in. So Gerald Ford and another one of his colleagues in the Congress actually held hearings just a couple of weeks after all of these events took place. Heineck, of course, was the star witness. His boss, Hector Quintanilla, had basically told him, you stick with the company line or else. Well, Heineck didn't want to do that. This is how much Heineck had changed. He was now willing to buck, really openly buck his superiors at the Air Force. When it became Heineck's time to address the Senate panel, the Senate committee, instead of towing the company line, Heineck pulled out a, a like five-page prepared statement that he had not cleared with his bosses at the Air Force at all. This was a complete surprise to the Air Force people. Heineck pulls out this prepared statement and he reads it to the Congress people and he makes a case for, we need to get together the country's brightest scientists and we need to fund a study program by which these scientists can spend all the time and all the resources they need to investigate these really important cases. What Heineck was doing was calling for an investigation by people outside of the military into the cases that had proved most difficult to explain. But even when the military wasn't involved, they were involved. Although the Air Force wouldn't run the program, they would organize it. There were calls in Congress for a more scientific approach to this. And so the Air Force was basically commissioned by Congress and funded by Congress to bring together scientists from all over the country and give them a bunch of reports from uh, the Air Force's Project Blue Book effort and have these scientists sort of independently review these reports. On April 21st, one month after the sighting at Manor Farm, 
Gerald Ford, a man who would soon ascend to the presidency, sent out a press release taking credit for pressuring the Air Force into, quote, arranging for a study by high-caliber scientists of some of the UFO sightings which have never been explained. Retired Air Force pilot James McGahey. They wanted MIT to do it, and MIT told them uh, where they could go. They were not interested at all. They got Dr. Edwin Condon at University of Colorado to accept it. He was a, had been chairman of the National Bureau of Standards. He was a very famous quantum mechanics physicist, one of the greats of the 20th century. He was a very, very eminent scientist. He put together a team to do the investigation, which became known as the Condon Report. And that team for about two years investigated current sightings and the best cases in Blue Book. On October 7th, a press release from the Office of the Assistant Secretary of Defense for Public Affairs announced that the University of Colorado had been given a contract of more than $300,000 to, quote, analyze phenomena associated with UFO sightings and to make recommendations on the Air Force's methods of investigating and evaluating UFO reports. Congress had signaled that they were serious about the UFO question. Hynek was no longer responding to the Air Force's pressure to explain away compelling UFO sightings. The committee began their work in November, after the break. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Classes in session. Find Try This from The Washington Post wherever you listen. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. After the Michigan UFO wave of 1966, J. Allen Hynek found himself in the strange position of having both experienced his greatest professional humiliation and at the same time risen to prominence as the publicly recognized expert on UFOs. In the last episode, we looked at the archetypal story of the hero's journey, where the hero goes from normal life enters a mysterious or mystical world where he fights a battle and emerges back into the normal world, transformed and with a message. We tracked how Hynek left the normal world of an academic to immerse himself in the investigation of UFO sightings taking place across the country. And while the vast majority of cases were easily solved, 
That left a small number that defied explanation given the available resources. These cases, Socorro, New Mexico, Hillsdale County, Michigan, and others, and the Air Force's seemingly prioritizing public debunking over actual investigation led Hynek to a crisis of conscience. What exactly was the nature of the project he was spearheading? The review organized by the Air Force and known informally as the Condon Committee began work at the University of Colorado. It was the final opportunity for the official assessment of the UFO situation to match up with Hynek's evolving views. Things seem set up well to accomplish this. Aaron Golias. Now, this was the sort of thing that uh, UFO advocates like the, uh, the National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomenon, or NICAP, and its leader, Donald Kehoe, had been pushing for a long time. UFO advocates believed and, and declared that if the UFO topic could be taken out of the Air Force's hands and put in the hands of independent scientists, that those scientists would, you know, looking at things rationally and objectively, come to the conclusion that we were being visited by beings from outer space, that at least some of the sightings were extraterrestrial. The Air Force had succeeded in covering this up, but if we could take it away from the Air Force, give it to scientists, the truth would come out. So there was a lot of initial hope from the UFO people that the Condon Committee would uh, would come up with the truth about, or the truth as they wanted it found about, uh, about UFOs. Heineck himself expressed optimism that the committee shared his outlook. This is Heineck from his February 26, 1967 appearance on KABC-TV's press conference. The, the Condon Committee at the University of Colorado has been charged now with the responsibility of taking a scientific look at UFOs. And Ed Condon is, is, was for years, as you know, the director of the Bureau of Standards and a uh, very solid person uh, in, this, in the whole scientific field. But, as you probably suspected, he was disappointed when the report was finally released in 1969. The Condon Committee issues their report. Their report, their conclusions, are, are basically not too different from what the Air Force had said in their Project Blue Book investigations. Basically, uh, the vast majority of sightings that people report are the result of people misidentifying planets, stars, satellites, conventional aircraft, these sightings could, in overwhelming numbers, be explained. And while there was a significant number of cases that could not be immediately explained in a conventional manner, that does not prove that these are alien craft visiting. Heineck found this acknowledgement that there were unexplainable cases heartening, despite the fact that the report's conclusion and the summary released by Condon himself were definitive in dismissing the UFO issue. Surprisingly, the County Committee built their final report. They built a pretty strong case for the continued study of UFOs, and Heineck found that very encouraging. For instance, Heineck noted that one of the common features of many UFO sightings 
was that car engines and radios would fail, and he was pleased that the Kanin Committee would look at this phenomenon. This is Hynek, again from his interview with KABC. Cannot speak for them, obviously, but I understand that they are undertaking investigations of physical things. For instance, such things, many, many reports come in saying that a person's car was stopped. Um, uh, UFO came by and their car stopped, and when the UFO left, the car started again. And in the conclusion of the section on indirect physical evidence, the report reads, Of all the physical effects claimed to be due to the presence of UFOs, the alleged malfunction of automobile motors is perhaps the most puzzling. The claim is frequently made, sometimes in reports which are impressive because they involve multiple independent witnesses. Witnesses seem certain that the function of the cars was affected by the unidentified object, which sometimes reportedly was not seen until after the malfunction was noted. No satisfactory explanation for such effects, if indeed they occurred, is apparent. So, still puzzling. Unfortunately, the head of the committee, Condon, wrote a summary of the report in which he just completely demolished the idea of UFOs, said they're ridiculous, it's a waste of time and a waste of money to be studying these things. And a lot of people who read the report simply read Condon's summary and didn't read the whole thing. And those parts were unsparing in their assessment. The second paragraph of the first section of the Condon report says, quote, Our general conclusion is that nothing has come from the study of UFOs in the past 21 years that has added to scientific knowledge. Careful consideration of the record, as it is available to us, leads us to conclude that further extensive study of UFOs probably cannot be justified in the expectation that science will be advanced thereby. Later in the same section, it concluded that there was no defense value in continuing this work. Quote, This question is inseparable from the question of the national defense interest of these reports. The history of the past 21 years has repeatedly led Air Force officers to the conclusion that none of the things seen or thought to have been seen, which passed by the name of UFO reports, constituted any hazard or threat to national security. Much as was the case with the Robertson panel, there were grumblings that the Condon Committee had begun their work with the conclusion predetermined. The most notable piece of evidence for this assertion is a memo written by an assistant dean at the University of Colorado named Robert Lowe to two men in the university hierarchy. At the time, the university had not yet committed to undertaking the committee work and were evaluating if they should do so. The memo summarizes various faculty members' arguments for and against taking it on. The controversial passage reads, quote, The trick would be, I think, to describe the project so that, to the public, it would appear to be a totally objective study, but to the scientific community would present the image of a group of non-believers trying their best to be objective, but having an almost zero expectation of finding a saucer. This passage can be read to mean that it would be difficult to produce a report that satisfied both the public and the scientific community. 
Or it could mean that the fix was in from the beginning, that before they even looked at the evidence, the outcome was predetermined. There were no flying saucers. So they missed the message, you know, it was one of these forest for the trees things. They read Condon's summation and thought, oh, well, there's nothing here. We can trust this guy. He says there's nothing here, so there's nothing here. But regardless of these objections and the admission that some of the sightings were not able to be explained, the public was given the headline and not the details. The story that is sort of broadcast by the media, sort of simplifying things like the media often does, is that scientists conclude UFOs are not alien spacecraft. It's basically the headline that goes out. And due to this, the, the Air Force uses this to say, well, you know, we had our conclusions. Uh, scientists independently arrived at their conclusions. And so we can shut down Project Blue Book. The issue has been settled. There's not a danger to national security here. This isn't something the Air Force needs to be in the business of. Now, this is not to say that the committee's conclusions were wrong. I don't necessarily think they were. But looking at the narrative of Hynek's UFO work, it's another time when given the opportunity to support his viewpoint on UFOs, the voice of authority chose instead to discredit their importance or even existence. So the whole thing kind of backfired and a lot of the people involved in the Condon Committee who really felt that they could make a legitimate case that there was some reality to these events and that we needed to study them. Those, those people all just got sort of sidelined. And the consequences were fatal for the government's investigation efforts. There was a final step, though, before the Air Force could close Project Blue Book. They knew that their sponsorship of the Condon Committee would delegitimize the committee's conclusions in some people's eyes. So they had the report reviewed. They sent it to the National Academy of Sciences for them to review the report of Blue Book. <laughs> and the National Academy of Sciences were even more positive about what they said and commended Condon on one of the greatest ideas about how he had approached this problem. The National Academy of Science report concluded, quote, we are unanimous in the opinion that this has been a very creditable effort to apply objectively the relevant techniques of science to the solution of the UFO problem. Its concluding sentence read, quote, On the basis of present knowledge, the least likely explanation of UFOs is the hypothesis of extraterrestrial visitations by intelligent beings. And the Air Force basically immediately closed Project Blue Book. It's interesting how it was actually closed. According to McGahey, Quintanilla wrote an unpublished biography that contains this story. Quintilia loaded the entire files of Project Blue Book from Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, got on a C-118 cargo airplane, and flew to Maxwell Air Force Base in Alabama which is where the uh, archives were kept for the Air Force. And he handed the entire thing, offloaded it off the plane, signed it over to them, and got back on the plane and flew back to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. That was how Blue Book closed. I know this because I have his, he wrote a unpublished about a 200 page biography of himself 
and mostly about Blue Book, and I have a copy of it. And he was not a big fan of Project Blue Book, even though he was the last commander. But regardless of whether or not the fix had been in from the beginning of the Condon Committee, the upshot is that by the early 1970s, the Air Force had pretty much withdrawn, at least publicly, withdrawn from the UFO investigation field. And civilian organizations like NICAP and APRO and a new one, the Mutual UFO Network that would be emerging during the 1970s, would be responsible for collecting sighting reports and investigating things on their own. So Project Blue Book ended with a fizzle, not a bang. For a moment, UFO proponents and people simply wanting to see the study of UFOs given some legitimacy had reason for optimism in the formation of the Condon Committee. There was an expectation, given the public relations disaster around the swamp gas explanation of the sightings in Michigan, that a more even-handed, in their minds, reckoning with the subject would be forthcoming. But they were sorely disappointed. The Condon Committee may well have given a thoroughly objective report, but for people such as Hynek, it seemed as though it was more of the same biased assessments. But this final disappointment freed Hynek from whatever constraints he had previously worked under, and he emerged from his time with the Air Force with a new message. Next time on Strange Arrivals. Strange Arrivals is a production of iHeart3D Audio and Grim and Mild from Aaron Mankey. This episode was written and hosted by Toby Ball and produced by Miranda Hawkins and Josh Thane with executive producers Alex Williams, Matt Frederick, and Aaron Mankey. And special thanks to Wendy Connors, creator of the Faded Discs archive of UFO-related audio on archive.org. Learn more about Strange Arrivals over at grimandmild.com. And find more podcasts from iHeartRadio by visiting the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.